Hi, this is attorney Jamie Miller from the Miller Law Chronicles. Um, today we're going to talk about a great topic. It's about employee retention tax credits. But I want to first welcome you to another edition of the Miller Law Chronicles, where we will simplify the legal maze by giving you clarity and confidence as you go through the legal process. We talk about all kinds of different things affecting people and affecting the law. But today, really excited about talking one of the, to one of the expert lawyers handling handling employee retention tax credits. Um, Congress and the IRS several years ago as part of the COVID legislation gave us the ability to get tax credits on wages that were paid to employees for the last three quarters of 2020 and the four quarters of 2021. That's a tax credit that can be up to $15,000 per employee. So I would urge you to look at that and see if you qualify for the employee retention tax credits. It's a great opportunity for business owners, plays into the purpose of the IRS and being able to get money into the economy and help businesses to succeed post-COVID. So really excited about welcoming my friend, Robert Hoagland to the podcast and hope it's great information from you and information that you're able to share with your businesses, with your friends, with anyone that is self-employed. Thank you again. Hi, this is attorney Jamie Miller of the Miller Law Chronicles. And we're here today with a very special guest and friend, Robert Hoagland. Today, we're going to talk about employee retention tax credits. Robert Hoagland is one of the advanced tax attorneys in this area that's handling employee retention credits. And Robert, I thank you for joining me today. How are you? Just fine. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you for having me on your program. Very honored to be here. My, my pleasure. And I want to jump in and start talking about the employee retention tax credits, but give me a little bit of background about who you are, you know, the type of law practice that you built and how you got into handling employee uh, retention credits at this time. Oh, sure. I can help you with that. I founded our law firm in uh, 1990 and have expanded it throughout the years. Uh, I've been practicing law for 32 years now. And uh, we do Social Security disability law, bankruptcy law, some criminal defense, some personal injury. And particularly, I've been solely practicing tax law relative to the employee retention tax credit for several years now. I've become very familiar with it and uh, all its twists and turns over the years. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the employee retention credits what they are, and what, what got you interested in starting to work in this area? Sure. Well, I've helped a lot of small businesses over the last 32 years relative to tax laws that relates to uh, consumer bankruptcy or business bankruptcy issues. And uh, several years ago, I found out about this opportunity with the employee retention tax credit. And with some of my tax background, I felt it would be a good fit for our firm and a lot of opportunity relative to giving small businesses, you know, good, solid legal advice relative to qualifying for the employee retention tax credit. And what exactly is the employee retention tax credit? 
Sure. Well, it's an opportunity that the federal government through COVID relief acts has given small business owners to get a tax refund, a check mailed directly to that small business for qualified business owners who had two to 500 W-2 employees during the period of 2020 and 21. And it's for individual small businesses that have been affected by COVID mandates, either their net profits, their revenues, their staff, their employees, or otherwise. And it's a very good opportunity for some businesses, as long as they're, you know, it's a good fit for the company and they have a good solid claim. And, and maybe you could kind of go into a little bit about the eligibility requirements. You, you indicated that it has to be a company of about two employees or more. And does that apply to sole proprietorships? Does a company have to be incorporated? But maybe you could expand a little bit more about on those eligibility requirements. Well, it's for any small business that has an EIN number that has hired and had W-2 employees for 2020 and 21, two or more, that were affected by COVID mandates during that period. And there are two tests to determine the qualifying factors relative to the employee retention tax credit. So one, you have to be a business, have an EIN number, W-2 employees, and then you have to meet at least one of two tests. One is a gross receipt reduction test. The other is a nominal business impact test. Now, how you get a refund if you qualify is you get compensated from the federal government in the form of a check based on the percent of wages you paid your W-2 employees for the periods of the last three quarters of 2020 and the first three quarters of 2021. Now to qualify for those that tax credit on those wages you paid your W-2 employees for that period, you look at again the revenue reduction test. That's one test you can use and you can use one or the other. And the second test is called the nominal business impact test. Now, when the employee retention tax credit first started back in early 2020, there were a lot of restrictions on what qualified a business. For example, if you got the PPP loan, it was forgiven, you didn't qualify. They only had the revenue reduction test. They didn't have the second test called the nominal business impact test. And there were several other changes the last three years where the federal government has opened up the funnel, so to speak, for small businesses to qualify. And the reason that they did that is that they had a, a, a lot of money set aside to pay out to small business owners, and they found that the tests that they had, the IRS had, these guidelines from the beginning were a bit stringent, so they kept opening again up that funnel. One of the things they did is they added the nominal business impact test as a second test about, oh, I think a year and a half ago. And so a lot of folks that I get phone calls on have been told they didn't qualify and they were given that opinion under the guise of older, more restrictive rules and guidelines, and now those guidelines have opened up and they do qualify, particularly the PPP loan. Or they've been told if you're a nonprofit, you don't qualify. Well, you, you do qualify if you're a nonprofit as well, or not-for-profit. Go ahead, Jamie. Sure, and the, and the nominal business impact, what, what does that look like? And when you're talking to potential clients, what 
does that mean? What are you looking for? What type oh. of questions are you asking the business owners? Sure. When the federal government put together the nominal business impact test, again, about a year and a half or better ago, was about a 130-page IRS guideline. And we've taken that guideline and we've broken it down into about 16 bullet points, whether questions and answers, bullet points, whether or not a business was affected by that particular bullet point or question. So it's kind of a problem effect, problem effect, problem effect, as you go down these 15 or 16 bullet points we have. And each of these bullet points, the effect has to be whether there was a COVID mandate, a rule, not a guideline, not a recommendation, but a rule that these companies, owners, employees, vendors, customers, clients would have had to follow that would have adding up all these bullet points. Is it slightly more than a nominal impact, business impact on their organization or their business? And that test is an art in itself to put together and not many accounting agencies, even you know CPAs or otherwise even touch this test. Usually they do the simple math on the gross receipt reduction test which not many businesses qualify for. And we always go through both tests when I'm vetting a client, both the revenue reduction test, which is easy math. Was there a certain percent of revenue reduction comparing quarters 19 to 20 and 19 to 21 uh, versus the, again, the nominal business impact test, which is more like telling a story of what happened to these companies or businesses relative to mandates that they had to follow during the periods of uh, the last three quarters of 2020 and the first three quarters of 2021. And you apply that test quarter by quarter by quarter. So um, it's not an all or nothing thing under the nominal business impact test. Again, you take a look at each of the six quarters that a business could qualify and apply those 15 or 16 problem effect COVID bullet points from the nominal business impact test to their business during that period. And there are some companies I vet that under the nominal business impact test, they didn't have uh, any quarters that I felt comfortable relative to qualifying. Some businesses had a couple, three quarters, they were affected more than nominally, and some businesses got you know absolutely walloped all six quarters. For example, a catering business, for example, that would be a good example of likely a nominal business impact test where that company would have been affected all six quarters because the, 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 you know, the mandates, the COVID rules, et cetera, would have applied to them where some businesses, again, maybe it was just the first quarters two and three of 2020 where there were COVID mandates out there that were severe restrictions. So go ahead, Jamie. Right. So, yeah. So you said quarter two and three of 20 in all four quarters <clears throat> of 21. Is that oh, the, the period of time? Uh, small businesses uh, can apply for if they qualify or if they feel comfortable that they qualify for the employee retention tax credit for the last three quarters of 2020, that would be quarters two, three, and four, and the first three quarters of 2021, which are quarters one, two, and three, of course. And sometimes you can get fourth quarter of 21, too, if you're startups. So there is an exception to that rule, but that's a whole different discussion in and itself under startups. Mm. And I talk to businesses that are considering filing for the, the tax credits and they'll say, you know, like I was a law firm or I was a grocery store or some other type of business that 
you know, was deemed to be essential and wasn't really impacted. They were able to continue operating. But even though they're an essential business and they didn't necessarily have to close, would they still potentially qualify for the tax credit? Yes. And that's the nominal business impact test is just that. Was the business nominally impacted or just above nominally impacted? That's the rule. And they don't have to be closed. They don't have to be a non-essential business. But those bullet points that I was talking about where we've, you know, boiled down the IRS guidelines, all these bullet points, they're like death by a thousand paper cuts. So you take those bullet points in their entirety, does that add up? to more than a nominal business impact. But you're you're correct, though. A lot of business owners, yeah, they they weren't closed or they were, you know, an essential business that they don't qualify. And that's not necessarily what the nominal business impact test is. Right. And I talked to another business the other day and they say, yeah, I, I didn't, I got my PPP money and the payroll protection money and I continue to operate my business and I don't feel great about applying for the ERTCs because, you know, my profitability is still there. My revenue is there. It was down. But what would you tell to a business owner that's like weary about going and applying for these tax credits? Well, um, of course, my recommendation would be consult a tax attorney to get a, you know, a very good you know view at what happened and again remember you don't have to take all the quarters either and you know when you're a business owner and you're looking you know back two three years now at your business there's a lot of things that you don't recollect unless you're asked that question and that relates back to those bullet points under the nominal business impact test and at the end of the day a lot of small business owners going through the bullet points the, under the nominal business impact test, PTSD or otherwise, they realize how much they were impacted. Now, the nominal business impact test really doesn't have anything to do with the gross receipts. Really, it's you know how much more in gross receipts for a small business would you have had but for those COVID mandates during that period. Now, what I like to right, see... That's a huge point. So it's not just a drop in revenue or a drop in profitability, it's about potentially, you know, lower profits because of the impact that COVID rules had on them. Correct. Yeah. And but now what I, you know, and I take a very conservative look at this too. I mean, if there's a company that's been affected, but they're printing money more than they did in 2020 and 21, then funds they've received in 2019, I tend to shy away from those claims. What I like to see is at least a flat line or a slight reduction in revenues comparing 19 to 20 and 19 to 21, which most businesses had in that respect. So even though the nominal business impact test has not much to do about the gross receipts at that time, I like to see a flat line or at least a slight reduction. Because that tells a story that that really adds into the story of how these businesses had, you know, future growth potential and they got hammered with the COVID mandates. Right. So why is the government doing this? What's the purpose? What are they trying to accomplish? 
Well, they're again, they're trying to keep small businesses healthy, and you know, the, it's called the employee retention tax credit, and that is for employers to keep and retain employees. And again, those employees pay a lion's share of our taxes. Right, and it's you know they want to keep money kind of in the economy. You know, it's to keep the economy going and keep things you know, moving forward, I, I would think is another kind of reason that they want to do this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's a myriad of uh, ripple effects, you know, from putting that, uh, those funds back into the economy, into small businesses for right. grow or maintain or stay healthy or, you know, improve this in their building or, you know, there's just a myriad of advantages to keeping the economy healthy in that respect. Right. And, and I imagine when you're consulting with a potential client about the employee retention credits, their first question is, um, how much am I going to get? And I, I know that's initially a, a hard question to answer, but if you're talking in general terms to an employer, what, what type of expectation could they have for the, the amount of a credit that they could get? Well, based on our past experience representing small businesses under the employee retention tax credit, typically what I tell clients, and I think I'm pretty darn close, is usually we get about $15,000 per employee, part-time and or full-time, give or take 20%. So if I'm vetting a small business owner with 20 employees, I would take that 20 times $15,000 and tell them, okay, you're probably looking at about a $300,000 tax credit, give or take 20%, which is a lot of money for these so that, small business owners. It's a game changer for them. It, it's a significant amount of money. And what is the tax impact of getting a credit like this? Well, unlike the PPP loan, which in most states are forgiven without any tax consequences, you do have to pay taxes on any funds you receive under the employee retention tax credit. And you do have to go back and amend your corporate returns for whatever years that you received refunds for quarters in the years that you made the application for. And it's not a hard amendment, but you do have to pay taxes, and oftentimes that too could flow back into the K-1s and personal returns of the business owners. I typically work with the accountants of small businesses relative to making sure that they're aware of this claim and how this amendment can be put together and when to put the amendment together as well. And I haven't had any accounting firms, accountants, or agencies go, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. It's, it's a pretty simple amendment, but you do have to pay taxes. And does the government hold back any of the money to be applied toward taxes or the, the businesses get the full uh, tax credit? The businesses get the full tax credit. And in most instances, also what they're going to get is interest. Now I tell my clients, don't be too excited that you got interest on this because when you go back and this is really weird, but when you go back and you amend your tax returns for the years that you receive the refund in per quarter, technically it's going to be a late filed return and then you have to pay int you know, a, a late filing interest on that amended return. Now, 
typically what we found is that late penalty interest for amending the returns to pay the taxes is about half of the interest that they pay on the front end when you get your refund. So if you got $2,000 in interest, <coughs> you're going to pay about 1000 of that back in late filing penalties and interest when you go back and amend your returns. To pay. Like many opportunities for businesses, it seems like the vultures are really swarming out there on Facebook, on, you know, just different Google ads, the radio, the TV, about companies that will try to get those retention credits for you. <clears throat> and can you tell me a little bit about if we as consumers and businesses should be concerned about calling <clears throat> an 800 number like that to get get assistance with this program? Well, I can tell you using a tax attorney to do this as a lawyer or accountable or insured. You know, my, I tell every one of my small business owners that I deal with, I said, my job is to protect you and your company, you know, not thrown under the bus. And I think the IRS probably can speak to that uh, better than I can. If you go to irs.gov under the ERTC site, I think there's no less than three warnings that the IRS has put out there to be very, very cautious of these companies that purport to be ERTC experts that are not CPA firms. They are not tax law firms. And the funny thing is, is that in, in my opinion, we typically charge less to represent a client than these non-CPA, non-tax law firm entities. Because anybody with a truck and a shovel can represent somebody on an ERTC claim. And you don't have to be a CPA or a tax attorney to do that, unfortunately. Right. And when you apply for these tax credits, how long does it take to actually get the tax credit? I tell clients about four to 12 months, give or take. You know, it, it takes a while. Now, we can, you know, typically turn a good claim around and get it filed within several weeks. And then once that claim is filed, because in order to get the credit, you have to amend your 941 tax returns for whatever quarter that you, you're choosing or feel the client is eligible for, and then file that with the IRS. And then usually once they're filed, I tell clients about four to 12 months, you can expect a check per quarter from the IRS relative to the employee mm -hmm. retention tax credit. The laws in this area in the guidance that you have seem to be in flux a little bit and in, in changing at least change from when they first this opportunity first came out to kind of where it is now so what, what if i apply for a retention credit and then get my money and then <clears throat> six months from now i get audited how are you able to help with that or what's the situation with that yes we do we would help Knock on wood, I haven't had any uh, audits or inquiries yet from anybody we've represented. I suspect we will. Uh, but one of the things that I do when we meet with clients is not only do we make sure that they qualify under the gross receipt test or the nominal business impact test, we, we're very adamant in making sure that 
clients can assure us and we train the clients into what documentation you need to save or preserve. Because the federal government has up to five years to audit these claims. And conservatively, oftentimes I tell clients, if you feel a bit shy about this now, you know, you got your funds, just throw it, you know, pay the taxes on it, throw it in a high interest rate bearing savings account and sit on it. Yeah, that seems like really good advice. And the, you know, it's already, it's, you're kind of saying that we can get the credits for the time periods 20 and third quarter ending in 21. We're already, you know, almost to the third quarter of 23. How much longer do potential businesses have to be able to apply for this credit? Well, you get the last three quarters of 2020. To the best of my knowledge, that's going to drop off as of next April of 2024. Then 2020 is out the door. You're only left with the first three quarters of 2021, which would drop off in April of 2025. So there, there is, you know, somewhat urgency to take care of this sooner or later. You'd hate to wait until April of 24 and then not be able to get the credits that you deserve for at least tax year 2020, right? So it's important to, to get on this. I would think so. I mean, you don't have to do it tomorrow, but I, I wouldn't drag your feet too much on it. You know, I'd hate to lose out any benefits that an individual could have from 2020, you know, small business owner. Do, do you see any rumblings at all that the money could run out or that they'll reverse, you know, kind of the guidance and, and take this opportunity away? You know, I when there were discussions of the budget, of course, a month or two ago, that was concerning. I really didn't hear anyone talk about that the employee retention tax credit could be, you know, bumped out for budgeting reasons or reduced. Um, I haven't heard anything else, to the best of my knowledge, that the employee retention tax credit will end sooner than anticipated or be underfunded or otherwise, but it's the federal government. You just don't know. Right. And what what's the best way to reach you if someone had questions or wanted to talk to you about the employee retention credits? Oh, thank you. Well, the best way to reach me is by my personal cell phone, which I welcome any small business owner to reach out anytime, day, evening, weekend, and that is 612 791-1382 or they can email me Rob Hoagland at hoaglandlaw.com or even contact you Jamie and you can uh, forward any messaging uh, over to me yeah Robert and I have forged a, a partnership my area of expertise is not in being a tax lawyer and, and I'm smart enough to know to go to the experts for my clients. I get calls for many areas of the law that I don't practice. And I'm just really excited. And I know Robert's helped clients of mine and done a, done a really good job with it and always does what he says he's going to do, which is the, the mark of a really good business person and a good lawyer. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this really important topic. And there's a lot of great takeaways from this information that you provided. Just want to wish you a good day. Thank you so much. And you and I will be talking uh, quite a bit in the future as we go down this path to helping our clients get their employee retention tax credits. 
Well, thank you, Jamie. And as promised, we always take a very cautious, careful look at whether or not a small business is a good fit for the employee retention tax credit. I always, again, tell my small business owners, we're there to protect you, not throw you under the bus. And Jamie, I thank you for everything uh, that you've done for me today. Uh, allow uh, these uh, viewers to get, a, uh, I think, uh, a very accurate synopsis of the employee retention tax credit and what's out there and available. Thank you so much. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Robert. Have a great day. You too. Take care.